0: Everybody and welcome back to the State of Play podcast. I'm your host Martino Pucci. Alongside me is Matt Santangelo. Pepperisha, um was just notifying us that he was playing football. He's out of shape like in Nazar so he won't be on with us this episode. So um, <laughs> he's just going to sit, rest, go watch a, a few Champions League matches, celebrate uh, Ozil being left off the team sheet for Arsenal. But Matt, we had a great weekend. Um, so yeah, right. I mean, we're we're doing well so far.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, this is a our pet. Obviously, we have got to carry on. You know, we got some we got injuries to the squad. Got some ache, aching issues to the squad. So we're gonna keep this thing going. But a lot to talk about, of course. Um, specifically in Italy, and and just you know, it's exciting times with everything coming back to the Champions League and everything kind of kicking off with the group stages as well for the Europa League.
0: Yeah, um, there's a there's a bunch of stuff that's going to be happening. Obviously, we got back from the international break. It's well documented on how often there will be matches played. Very few off days um, from now until, you know, end of May, you want to say June. There There is going to be a lot of football being played constantly, aside from the international breaks. And now we get our European football back, Europa League and Champions League. Both um as we're recording this, some of the Champions League matches will be kicking off within a few minutes or so. I mean, I mean, let's just dive in into the whole competition in itself i think I think we're going to dive into it afterwards with the Premier League News, which is obviously pretty big. I think we should start with the Virgil Van Dyke injury, and I think it's such a massive impact to what this competition is. Um, because there aren't many favorites of this. There's no clear-cut favorites. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of teams out there that are really talented, have the capability of winning this tournament, but have a lot of flaws. Mm -hmm. Whereas you look at Bayern Munich, you say, okay, there's not many flaws. They got better. Mm -hmm. Um, They did have the one slip up in the league, but at the end of the day, you say to yourself, that was only a few weeks ago when they ended up winning the treble again, and they're on their way to potentially doing that uh, once more. But let's talk about this Van Dyke injury first. Um, the impact of Liverpool—we we talked about it. We know how how much they've been improved for a multitude of reasons over the past you know thirty-six months or so, Matt. But the main reason, and the and the one that everyone always loves to point to, is Virgil Van Dyke and the purchase that he was back in in, in January of um, twenty eighteen, and look. Propelled them to get to a Champions League final. They didn't end up winning that, obviously. Um, they came back the next year, they won it. Um, heartache after they got eliminated this past season, um, but also won the Premier League. This is just a massive blow in general, because I can't think of a defender that's been more valuable to, to his team um, in world football. I don't, I don't even think it's close. So we know how talented their fullbacks are and what they're capable of doing, but they have they're suspect at times when it comes to the defensive side of things, Virgil Van Dyke really covers for them often. Um, I think we're going to see them take a hit a little bit offensively because they're not going to be able to go as high up the field with, you know, getting caught with their pants down on, on, on a counter attack because Virgil Van Dyke isn't there to bail them out. Yes. They have Allison who's, top two goalkeeper in the world next to O'Block in my opinion but at the end of the day there isn't a bigger loss for a team right now I think there's only a few people that are more valuable to their team um, than Van Dyke is and I think you could say you know Robert Lewandowski, um, Cristiano Ronaldo to Juve, Leo Messi um, to Barcelona, and I think you could stop the list there, but there's certainly other players that you could point to around world football that you could say they had that sort of impact on their team. But Van Dyke, man, I mean, this is, this is massive. This is an ACL, hit, and someone of his stature and size, it's going to take a little bit because he isn't built like your normal footballer, right? Um, in, in terms of football, he's a, he's a physical specimen compared to a lot of other guys. So, Matt, I mean, this is a devastating blow to them. Uh, they're still going to be able to get by on their group. But in terms of, you know, Premier League winning this, you know, tournament at the same time, I, I don't know. It's, for, for me, you kind of have to, you know, back off of Liverpool a little bit as uh, considering them as one of the favorites in this tournament.
1: I think with Vendor, uh, Virgil van Dyke, I think there's um, – it's hard to really quantify his importance. I think, you know, we obviously know as Americans speaking here – we all know there are certain metrics that are used to, um, I guess, weigh one player or starting player against his backup, right? I know in baseball, it's called wins above replacement, right? Essentially what it is, is, okay, how much is this player worth in terms of wins in comparison to an average player playing his position? And when I look at Virgil van Dyke, I think, you know, you made a great point is that there's very few people in world football, players in world football, that when they're out, it's not just a, okay, we'll just plug somebody else in and we'll be, for the most part, able to kind of move things forward here. I think, you know, Ronaldo, Messi, Lewandowski, you know, maybe even Ramos to an extent with Real Madrid. But defensively, what Virgil van Dijk has meant to Liverpool since his arrival, um, I mean, since that transaction happened, there has been a complete shift with Liverpool's ambitions, their 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 drive, their objectives each and every year. And he's been, I mean, in my opinion... The best central defender in 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 world football for the past uh, you know several years that can be debated by any other person who listens to this but I, I think that his importance it's it, it it speaks for itself and I think you know just not to speak too much on the the their chances in the Champions League because look obviously when he's not in the equation now you have to look at who his replacement is going to be you're going to have to see how the team responds to his absence can that defense be organized, um, as stout, as strong without their physical specimen and, you know, a big leader in the back in Virgil van Dijk. And you have to kind of wait and see how that thing plays out. But this is not only having an impact on the Champions League and their 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 goals for that competition, but also the Premier League trying to repeat. So overall, I think Liverpool, it's a, it's a really difficult situation to be in. Um, as for Virgil himself, you mentioned it, you're coming back from an injury like this. Uh, we, we kind of have, we have talked about uh, at several... Turns on this podcast about Zaniolo because he's had multiple ACL injuries and surgeries, and he's a younger player. So consecutively, it could be, too. Right, right. It could be a little bit different, but with Virgil Van Dyke kind of entering more of the prime of his career, like the post 30s, it's really difficult for a player, um, if his, his size, his um, you know, build to make this this return, given the miles under his legs, given how um, demanding his position is you know, how, how much physical contact there is. So it's going to be difficult to, for him I to think anything back before to,
0: April is a mistake.
1: Well, I mean, look, I, I see, we saw we touched on it at length about Zaniolo and the expectation that some people have for players coming back from these injuries. And I'm looking at it. I'm like five months. It, this makes no sense to me. We both I'm, hated I, it. I hated it. And I'm looking at it now. And I tweeted, I was like, this is going to take five to six months at least. Right. But knowing the way the football landscape is and how we see quick players rush back a little bit more quicker in, in football than in say American football or baseball sure. or basketball, I, I don't know. I think there's there's really cause for concern that, you know, if Liverpool have some some results here or down a the stretch, they're kind of clawing to get deeper into the Champions League or they're still in contention for a title and Virgil van Dijk feels like he's ready to go. Will Liverpool doctors and their medical team rush this player back I, I don't know because I would like to see Virgil be able to play um, back to the level he was post-injury so we'll have to wait and see but yeah that's def- definitely a huge blow for Liverpool I, I don't want to get too much into the whole Pickford situation as far as him being yeah. suspended long term and stuff I think for me it's a lot of just emotional takes that are being spewed because I think if it was the fact of the matter is the way I observe it is if it wasn't Virgil van Dijk a, pro- a player of his profile caliber See so if it's Joe people,
0: Gomez I, going down, it's different.
1: Well, if he wasn't, if he was someone else playing for another team in the Premier League or the Championship, people would be like, "Ah, that's football. That's the Premier League. That comes with territory of a physical game like football." And I think a lot of people would have kind of just turn their head towards it. But when it's a high-profile player, we've seen it. Tom Brady get the injury. Everyone kind of says, well, this player should be suspended. He should be fined, and all these sorts of things." And I agree that Pickford was should have been given a red card or he should have been reprimanded on the field. But to say the guy should be suspended for as long as Virgil van Dyke is out is idiotic.
0: The intent to hurt him was not there. I think the intent to make a play and a stupid one in that is true. He's
1: He's an erratic player, but I don't think he was going out of his way to say, I have an opportunity to really kind of dig into Virgil Van Dyke here no, in a derby. No, I'm gonna no. do this. No, no way. No, come on. No, no,
0: no, that's no, that's that's absurd. And you know what? The thing is, I understand a few games. I think it should be like you know two to three match suspension for him but I don't want to daunt on it too long. I think, I think it's ridiculous and we've seen Virgil go in strong on some other players and injure them, most notably Napoli in the champions league, we have Liverpool uh, fans around the world saying, well, that's football. That's how it goes. Well, you know what? Interesting to see how they uh, comment on stuff like that. Now it's just, it's just funny to me. So, so we got to move on. So in general in this competition, Matt, again, to me, it just seems like uh Bayern Munich is just the favorites for this Um you know, some of the other favorites, when we talk about quote-unquote favorites, like there's not a lot out there that I really love. PSG, in my opinion, got worse. They didn't get stronger in the defense. Maori Cardi, the option that they picked up for 60 million euros this year, I mean, he didn't even get to play in that Champions League final that speaks volumes there. Neymar, we know his injury history. Um, Verratti's going to be missing time as well. Um, and then on on the other hand, you know, the Uniteds of the world, you don 't trust them you don 't trust the you know Chelseas, especially with their suspect defense. Um, Barcelona has a lot of question marks. Real Madrid has a lot of question marks uh, as well in my opinion, because they like we saw what happened to them against Manchester City albeit i don 't see that happening to Veran again, um, with that with that absolute flop and stinker of it. Juve, I mean Pirlo. I mean, just look at the lineups they have. Like that, Paulo Dybala still isn't playing. Like we don't even know what's going on there. There's rumors that he's fighting with Fabio Paratici. You know, Ronaldo. He can only carry them so much. We've seen it, right? Um, their midfield is improved, but marginally. Like how much? Like it's not a substantial amount. Pirlo's still figuring things out as well. I mean, for me, there really isn't. This is this is a wide wide open. You know tournament outside of Bayern Munich and for me I it's hard I'm hard pressed to not pick Bayern to repeat again in this obviously we know how early this is a lot of people thought Liverpool with the way they were playing at the start of last year would have repeated and it's a long time now between you know that trophy being lifted all the way in in May or so so I mean at the end of the day I don't think there's a clear-cut favorite in this I think there's going to be a lot of exciting matches, and I prefer when this when this format and and this um, competition really is more wide open than past years where it's like okay we got Barcelona we got Real Madrid Bayern's there you know maybe another team or two can sneak in and win this thing but at the end of the day right now I think this is as open as this competition has been in years and I'm personally excited for it um, I don't know about you um, before we move on to to other topics and, and such. What's the one team you really have your eye on to make you know some sort of you know massive run in this that would kind of be unexpected? You know, like the Ajax of a couple of years ago, or even Spurs.
1: It's hard to really say. I mean, I I agree that Bayern is the favorite to to repeat as champions. I think they shoot they are probably favorites to have back to back trebles, which would be which would be unheard of, right? Given the the strength of their squad. Um, how battle tested they are, the mentalities there, physically they they look like cyborgs. Some of the graphics I'm seeing with Goreska and, and Lewandowski, and even early day early days with Leroy Sané. So they're definitely a favorite um, for me. But I think Real Madrid is another fascinating one. You know, they're a team that they you just kind of always feel like they got to be in it, much like with Barcelona. But we've kind of covered Barcelona at length, and we know what their situation is and where they're headed. And I think it's in a much opposite direction um, as opposed to Real Madrid but I think the biggest focus that I have on this is which clubs are going to be able to overcome the, the, the pack calendar one two the fact that they maybe weren't able to address so many different areas of need in the, in the transfer window and the teams that have that depth to, to, to rotate effectively and to navigate this tournament, right? Because a team that has a good 13 to 14 could do some damage and make some noise. No, no, no questions asked. But one injury here, one COVID test there in a pivotal game is all it can take for you to be on the outside looking in, maybe not getting into the knockout stages or maybe going into the Europa League. So that's a big focus for me as I think if you look at the way the season is right now, the, the, some of these clubs, it's just a matter of them you know, logging those points early and often and putting themselves in a position where they're not having to leave it to chance the last match of of their, of their own groups uh, of their own group similar to what we saw at Atalanta last year right they yeah. kind of had some difficult results early on but it came down to like goal differential or total goals which Man. meant them going between them going home or going to the Europa League and then moving on and they eventually wound up making a deep run so I think it's Bayern Munich Real Madrid there um, I think if Juve are, can stay healthy I think just Ronaldo in general versus Lionel Messi Ronaldo's team is in a much better position to be carried by their their generational talent than Barcelona are. So I think those three clubs are definitely ones to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. As far as I guess um, mystery clubs or clubs that can maybe you know be the next Ajax or Atalanta or, or RB Leipzig for that matter. Mm-hmm. I mean Borussia Dortmund. I'm excited to see Holland yeah. for an entire season at Borussia Dortmund. I know they got their issues. They're a young team. But they have so much ability, and I think there's going to come a point in time where they're really firing on all cylinders. And matchups pending, they can find themselves in this year specifically, as you alluded to, Martino. It feels like it's very open for more Cinderella stories, more surprise entrants making deeper runs in this tournament.
0: Yeah, which is exactly what we want, because when we hear all these rumors of, you know, like this European Super League where we're going to have 18 teams and they're going to be all the top clubs from around there. And then we kind of lose sight. And and this is something we've, you know, talked about previous episodes and even on Soccer Showdown, the other podcast that we do, is that we often miss out on a lot of great stories if we go in that direction. Like, Leicester City is one of the greatest sports stories. Not even sports stories. Just one of the greatest stories of all time in general. um, Especially this century. Just seeing that happen. You know, Spurs, even though they lost against Liverpool in the final. Just what they were able to do and inspire. You know, like, it's it's a big deal. I understand, like, Spurs aren't winning trophies. And we're going to get into them later and some of the issues that they have. But at the end of the day, like, just that moment for a lot of those Spurs fans and to see them go deep into that competition by beating some of the teams they did in the fashion in which they did is just something that people will never forget that are fans of the club that sticks with them for years. Um, it just makes the competition and the sport so great. And I think we just lose sight of it often when, we just have like these few clubs that are just dominating and, and it's the structure of the competition in itself, right? Because, you know, the deeper you get into the competition, the more money you make. And most of the time it is the bigger clubs that are getting deeper into the competitions because they have more depth. They have more money to buy quality players. They're from leagues that have tremendous TV deals that bring in more revenue. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's the rich get richer. And it's really difficult for some of these other teams like the Atalanta's of the world. That, you know, they sell a lot of guys. They, they retain a decent amount. They've done a pretty good job of that. They sell guys that don't even play for them whatsoever, right? We saw Traore with that. For me, it's just, it's exciting to see that. So I'm personally excited for an open competition. Um, but again, it looks like Bayern. I hope it's not Bayern. I don't want anyone tying Milan on seven. So I don't want Bayern or Liverpool um, or even Barcelona for that matter. Uh, anyone besides Juve and Inter as well. So, I mean, I know I named a lot of teams there, but other than that, I think I'm good with whoever else wins it. Um, but let's let's talk about Spurs now and transition to the Premier League. So, we had a lot of skepticism or a lot of people, especially including Pat, about Jose Mourinho, disappointment of him to Spurs after Mauricio Pochettino um, didn't really last that long after they make the Champions League final, in which we were just talking about. They were obviously spiraling out of control. And for a club that doesn't have that much stability, it doesn't have a lot of players that have been on winning sides that have lifted many trophies, it is hard for them to bounce back from a loss like that, right? We see how Liverpool rebounds from a loss in a Champions League final, and we see how Spurs rebounded from a loss, right? We got two two sides of the coin in this situation. Um, so they go up 3 nothing against West Ham. They're off to a phenomenal start. We just see it, right? And it was funny to me because when you root for a lot of poor teams that have these tendencies to really drop points in in manners that are just heartbreaking and, and gutting for a club especially when you know at the end of the day Spurs got one point from this match but it felt like they got nothing because you cannot you cannot be going up 3-0 absolutely dominating a match like this you know being in cruise control for the match and then you blow it in the manner that they do West Ham didn't score until the 82nd minute, I believe, Matt. That is just inexcusable. And for a side that wants to finish top four, a club that really just wants to lift the trophy for the first time, you get Gareth Bale on there. The feelings are high. Like, you know, you win that match like 3-0, whatever. If they even concede once, you know, 3-1. You're, you have a lot different feelings and sentiments towards the rest of your season opposed to now when you have to – go 3-3 to West Ham where it's a rocket in the upper 90 to a team that you shouldn't even be considering. Like, like how how in the back of their heads Spurs fans, not Dodgers, like how are they getting so excited during the match thinking they're in cruise control to win this when they still haven't shaken on or, or, or shown that they're not the same old Spurs where we get he's saying it's the history of Tottenham. Like, it's the same thing here. Nothing has changed. For me, and I've been a believer in Mourinho, and I do eventually think they'll be in contention to lift, you know, a Carabao Cup or an FA Cup, albeit that's not, you know, something that I think a lot of clubs shouldn't aspire to do, especially what Spurs and Spurs fans want, right? I'm always under the belief that you should want to win the title, no matter who you are. That should be everyone's goal at the end of the day, whether or not it's unrealistic, whether or not, you know, you have the club to do it. But if we see Leicester City win the title, anything can happen any given year. And especially in a condensed season where we have Liverpool losing Virgil van Dyke, where we see Manchester City not being the Manchester City of domestic dominance that we saw a couple of years ago. You just can't be doing this shit. Like Like it's really pathetic at this point. And it's a massive overhaul and stuff like this changes. It takes years for the culture to change like that. But it's at a point where it's Spurs fans, they're tired of hearing it's going to take time because it's the same shit time and time again, where they're going up big, where they look like they're in the driver's seat to win and pick up three points, where they simply just don't do it. And we've seen it well documented in All or Nothing. There's a lot of the guys that they took from recent years that they still have. And we saw Mourinho talk about how Serge Aurier is some guy he doesn't always fully trust because he has these tendencies to mess up. Oh and behold, it happens again. Devinson Sanchez, own goal. They're shooting themselves in the foot, Matt. And for me, it's stuff like this. If they're not able if they're still losing points like this in that manner, I don't see how Spurs win a trophy. I don't see how Spurs get into the top four until they stop doing stuff like this. Because at the end of the day, this is it's same old Spurs. Nothing has changed, in my opinion.
1: Spurs, I think the, the biggest thing with them is, and it's 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 a lack of uh, of character, the mentality. It's just not there. I think you look at a couple of years ago when they were in the Champions League final. I think there was something to that team. There were there's a little bit of grit. There was a little bit of fight. Like a, a sort of a battle tested um, element to their squad. That even if they maybe had an injury or had uh, a deficiency in certain areas. They were always seemed like they they were gonna fight, they were gonna claw, they were gonna be in games, they were gonna be competitive, and they couldn't be taken lightly. And I think you know when you add a guy like Mourinho, your ambitions you're making it known, right? You don't hire a guy like Mourinho to oh, we're gonna hope to finish top four. I mean, yes, that's in theory, that's a good aim for a team like Tottenham in a very competitive and in in what many consider to be the best league in world football. But I think you hire Mourinho, you're paying Mourinho. They're spending a fair amount. I know this. This market was a little bit different, but the the excuses that that you mentioned are, are valid in the sense that you know you can't have you can't have this sort of mentality. Ah, well, you know we're doing this. Ah, you know we, we have a pretty decent squad. I think we'll be okay. I mean, you look up and down this roster. They got players. They got quality. That quality is more and worth more than what we're seeing in some of these results where they're just absolutely capitulating, right? I think there's certain things in that squad where if you see a 3-0, a, a team that's trying to be finishing in top four and, and shoot for the stars as far as their, their aim is concerned, domestically, European-wise, and, and in general, you get the big stadium, you get all these sorts of things, right? You're, you know, there's certain expectations that come with that. For you to be up 3-0 and just to completely not hammer that down is inexcusable. I don't care, frankly, who you're playing against. I know it's funny coming from a Milan fan, you know, getting back to Istanbul. But you get my point. Like a 3-0 lead against a team like West Ham... Who At is least that team won team. some
0: shit. This isn't a right. team that won
1: but, dick. But but what I'm saying to you is there's something there. And I think what I'm seeing from the squad is that there's still quite a, quite a bit of carryover from the Champions League final uh, disappointment. I, I, for one new and in my opinion I expected that to be and I think we kind of know now that year was the end of the cycle for Tottenham you know and early the next the following year was let go they brought in Mourinho and they still have plenty of remnants and plenty of pieces from that previous cycle that's quite simply should not be at the squad they need to find different homes for them and, and that shows to kind of- you the
0: level they're at, right? Because we've seen teams lose yeah. Champions League finals and they recoup and they get back there. Like Juve, we've seen them get yeah. back to it. Atletico losing heartbreakers. Even Milan, if we want to go back after Istanbul, they get there in 2007. It's, it's even Bayern, all the finals they, that they lost to right before they won with Aaron Robin, uh against Dortmund in the final. Like, d- like that's the difference right there. Is yeah. they come back and they, they figure out a way these, uh, and some of them obviously didn't win, Juve, uh, we know, but they don't even get back to, like, even getting as close. Like, this is, yeah. this is Europa League football we're talking about. And we're getting excited over Gareth Bale returning. And Mourinho in 2020, where he's getting paid 17 million pounds a year. Like, he's one of the most expensive managers. Like, this is, it's, it's really just they're not going to do anything until they finally do it. And I know that's – it might sound extremely lazy, but that's, that's eventually what it's going to have to take, right? Like it's just – they have to find something within themselves that they didn't think is there in terms of winning. Like they have to dig deep because it's not – It's the hardest one is always the first, right, to win any trophy, especially with a core group of guys that aren't serial winners, right? We have the manager Mourinho, yes. We have Gareth Bale who has won, yes. What else do we have? And you could argue those two guys are the ones that, you know, they're past it. Gareth Bale has seen his best days. They're gone. Jose Mourinho's best days as a manager are gone. What else do we have with some of these guys? These guys, you know, Hugo Lloris wins with France, but he he doesn't have the same team around him. It's a a completely different conversation than what we're having with the France national team and Spurs. There's a lot of bright spots here. But until they stop losing games like this in this manner against you know the West Ham's of the world, it didn't even matter. If they lose that, if they if they draw a thirty-three to Man City, that's you know, you got to know in nope. the back of the yeah. head, they, like how much longer can they keep doing this stuff? Because this wanes on them. Because now even now they're like, okay, at least we have Mourinho, Bale's back in here. You know, it's a different vibe. But then they lose that game in Gales and Bale's first match back. Not until it's they now, might as well have
1: lost it. I think too. Now it's this, you know. It, it was so highlighted um, at every possibility last year with all the injuries. And I know, obviously, you know, Mourinho was kind of thrusted into a difficult situation, right? Tottenham are deep in the table. They had injuries pile up, and for them to be, for, for them to have been as close to a top four finish as they were, was, in my opinion, a pretty impressive feat. All things considered. But then you look at this squad, and you're like, there's simply too much in this squad. There's simply too much. Invested in the squad as far as um, the personalities, the 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 coach, the players, and just the energy to make Tottenham somewhat in that same category as those, you know, the the normal teams we usually mentioned as as the the, the giants of English football, right? So I think what Tottenham have to do here, and I don't know how much longer Mourinho is going to last. I would be stunned if he's um, let go before the end of the season. I can see him maybe finishing the season and then, you know seeing what else plays out, but there's, there's too many areas of the squad that I think in my opinion have been dragging on for a little bit too long. And that's also one of the issues because there's something about having like, for instance, you see some of these other clubs, how do some of these other clubs that are spending a fraction of what they're spending have less experience than they have, but for one way or another, for one reason or another, are able to pull out more victories, play, more consistently, get more positive results. And I'm not saying this, you know, about Leeds. I could be long, wrong here, but you just look at Leeds' team dynamic and their sort of the, – the the aura around their squad. Like, even when they're down two goals, there's always just some sort of, like, all right, let's, 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 let's pick it up. Let's claw back into this. Like, it seems as though when I watch certain games, and I see this across other different sports too, and I kind of noticed like, the enthusiasm behind certain squads when you're, like, in a position where – okay, we're up 2-0, but what's the enthusiasm look like? What's the energy level look like? Are you, mm. uh, we're good, we're going to ease up, we're going we're gonna to switch off? Or is it like, you know what, we're going to bury this team 3-4-0. You're up 3-0, that game has got to be killed off. And the fact that they were allowing a team at West Ham in eight minutes to score as many goals as they did means mentally they thought this game was done. They didn't finish the game out. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. And that's something to be said about what certain clubs have. Um, when you look at the actual landscape of world of football in general, there's a lot of teams that can flash you and wow you with the style of play and the names they have and the scoring. But some teams, you just never quite feel like they have the game in the bag. And when I watch Tottenham, it's that same feeling. Like Marino's looks like he's, he's getting, his hair is getting grayer by the minute. And the players in the squad, I do like. I, I do like Harry Kane. I do like Dele Ali. I do like though. I love him. I think he's an amazing player. And in my opinion, you can argue he's one of the more underrated players in world football, just given his production, his ability, and the fact that he does play for a Premier League club, but doesn't kind of get put in that same upper echelon as far as um, stars, right, in his position. So I think it's a, a, not a complete teardown that's needed, but in a year or so, I think Tottenham really have to kind of shuffle the deck here, get some players out of that that are just simply dead weight and not part of this plan long-term and try and get back to what they were under Pochettino. It's almost like what they were trying to rebuild with when they hired Pochettino, what they were eventually able to work for. But I agree, the cycle was done a couple of years ago and there's something that needs to change with the team because they lack the character, the mentality, and the overall ability to finish as we saw on the weekend.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's going to go in the direction of uh, Milan Screenar. It's going to be bought for a huge amount um, come January because whatever they're doing right now can't continue. Obviously, we know Mourinho is probably going to be there for the long term unless it's some absolute disaster incoming because he hasn't even been there for a full year. And if Daniel Levy fires him at that point, which I don't think he will because he's costing them so much money. um, Yeah, I just I just don't see it happening. So. Let's move over to Italy. And we're talking about teams that obviously had to figure out their cycles, reset a little bit, gather themselves after a disappointing campaign, and that and that team is Napoli. And obviously you could draw a lot of parallels between them and Spurs. Um obviously Napoli we've seen them have more success in terms of trophy, albeit, it is Serie A in Italy compared to what's going on. In the Premier League, there's more teams of quality over there. But we're not going to – I'm not knocking them at all. They've been fantastic. And the fact that they were even able to rebound last season and, and win a Coppa Italia speaks testaments of the work that Cotuso has done over there. And, you know, just the players having the wherewithal to, you know, push through that mentally and to eventually win a trophy over Juve, which was phenomenal for them. They look like the best team in the league, Matt. Um, I know our Milan is, you know, four for four. They got the twelve points, but the manner in which Napoli is beating teams, and over the weekend this thrashing, beatdown. You know, Atalanta got a consolation one goal. That wasn't. It didn't mean shit. They absolutely annihilated them. They are, without a doubt, back to that identity that they had a couple years ago, where they were playing the best football in Italy, where any other year, except that one year that Juve was just absolutely fucking dominant in which Napoli was getting over 90 points, in which any other year Napoli would win it, unfortunately for that. Like, I feel terrible for their fans. Like, that, it feels like they're on that level. And I understand it's only three matches with them. We know what happened. They got docked the point and that whole, you know, chaos going on with them. But four to one win. Is a statement over Atalanta. Atalanta don't look as them their dominant selves. I think they were kind of teetering towards the end of the COVID break, and you kind of saw it carry over into the Champions League as well for a little bit. I still think they're primed for a top-four finish. But what Napoli is doing, Victor Oshman is just exactly what they needed up front because we know Milik wasn't going to cut it. For me, Napoli... And I know Milan's been great, and they deserve their praise too. But for me, they've been by far the most impressive team in Italy. And whatever, it's a few weeks in, say what you will. But it, is always, it always matters on the manner in which a team is playing, not the results always, right? You know, the results are great, but just they're dominating. You know, we see them go up 4 nothing. They didn't take their foot off the gas. They controlled that game completely. Spurs, we know how they faltered. That's the night and day difference that I want to talk about. And, I, and it's something that I, I thought they were a lock for top four because they figured out what they needed in order to work and be a successful team again because they played fantastic after the reboot, right? They won the trophy. They get Gattuso for the, for the start of the season. They're not going to falter. They're not going to have whatever the mutiny situation was prior to last year and Ancelotti um, being gone from, from the club. Right now, they get Cotuso, who obviously it's well documented how great of a relationship manager he is. You know, getting a guy like Bakayoko was such a savvy, great deal for them at the end of the window to get a physical midfielder like that. Chucky Lozano, Matt, just, you know, reborn under Cotuso. And, and that's something that deserves a ton of praise. Because, again, you know, how I've said it. He just missed the Champions League by one point with Milan. And that was a team that didn't have much depth whatsoever, a team that has been faltering and and floundering, just trying to stay afloat for years. And the amount of pressure that they have over there is just insurmountable for some people. For me, Napoli is just – they're unbelievable right now. And with the way Juve is going, who knows how much longer some of their players are going to be missing games. With the way Inter is right now, it's not far-fetched to say this team – you know, they're not far off from being a title contender. I think they're going to be in this race until the very last match day.
1: I think uh, Napoli has a – you can make an argument that Napoli has the opportunity to be or replicate what Lazio did last year, right? A team that um, many people maybe perhaps a little bit overlooked coming into the season because of what Juve obviously are as nine-time champions, looking to make it their 10th straight Scudetto and then also would enter our building with Conte and then the players they they brought in. So it, the conversation for the title was for the most part from what I saw was Juve inter Juve inter can Inter do it? Can Inter be the team can can they finally dethrone Juve, right? And I think people in in a, in a, in a way I think it's good that Napoli were a bit overlooked that they some people are looking at their squad and a bit shocked as to wow how I'm surprised they're able to put this sort of result on Atlanta, right? But I think, in many ways, I think it's a good thing that Napoli come into the season as underdogs—a team that maybe some people don't think could compete for a title. And most of the times, the sleeping giants, the the, the 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 clubs that have a good squad that kind of don't come into the season with the expectations and that heavy, you know, that heavy expectation to win a title, are the ones that you have to you know, take this the most serious, right? And I look at this this squad, and they got the goalkeeper. I think Medet is, is is coming of age. I know he still has his issues where he does tend To make some mistakes, but overall, I think he's a solid goalkeeper defensively. They're able to keep Koulibaly. I think Manolas could be much better this year. The Maksimovic has looked really good, um, really for the past, in my opinion, year. I think he's was a player that was almost on the way out. He looks sharp. The Di Lorenzo is a nice player. The midfield, you know, despite losing Alan Bakayoko, as you mentioned, um, Zelinski, you have Fabian Ruiz, you have a lot of players of quality. Chucky Lozano, a pl- another one who was rumored to be on the way out after one year at the club, a really expensive fee. Now he looks like just a mainstay in that squad. Even with Lorenzo Insigne out, uh, you're looking at this squad, you're like, all right, like they got a good striker. And Victor Osimhen, who's able to do more than just score goals. And the whole dilemma with uh, Eric Milik seems to be just a non-issue at this point saying, hey, We're going to do what we got to do on the field to get the results. We're not going to have that be an issue for us or or affect our game on the field. And you're starting to see, I think, that Napoli are a team that I think will start to go through this season. They'll look very good. They'll be in the contention. They'll maybe be four points, five points off of the title. And people will say, "Eh, hold it. Maybe Napoli are a team that, with a head to head win against a Juve or an Inter, are right there. They're right in there for the title race. So I think this can be more of a two team to three team race. I, I do think that Juve are the title favorites. I think Inter are still going to be very strong despite the defeat they took once they get everyone back fresh and, and COVID-free, hopefully, um, for their sake. There'll, there'll be a team that's obviously you know, right there. But the, the, this just goes to show you that there's, there's a lot of teams in Serie A that are building really good projects, that are playing good football, that have some really good coaching. And it's just kind of expanding that depth that we haven't really witnessed in Calcio over the past handful of years where – It's more than Juve. It's more than a Juve-Napoli title race. You're going to have four to five to six strong teams that will be vying for those top four coveted spots, and I think it's going to make for um, a, a great season, another 34, 35 rounds that we have coming our way.
0: Yeah, there there are a ton of rounds left. Obviously, we know how long a season could be. We've even seen Juve, you know, outside of a European spot in around this time of the year um, in the normal seasons, and we've seen them rally. But it is not the Serie A of the past decade. This is a much deeper league, as you mentioned. There's going to be more contenders for it. Um, Listen, before we wrap up, I guess we could just, you know, highlight over, you know, the Milan Derby real quick, just, you know, a couple minutes because I think it is important, but they do have a couple of injuries. Um, as a note, they're going to be missing Ante Rebic. He's going to be missing the Roma match. Um, that'll be on Monday. They're not going to have him against Celtic. Hakan Chalanoglu is going to be missing their next four competition matches, which will be the next two Europa League matches, the next two Serie A matches, which is Udinese. And Roma as well. So they're going to be a bit with the injury bug a little bit again. Um, they really can't ever really catch a break in a lot of these situations. But listen, huge derby win for them. Important three points over one of the top competitors for a top four race. Obviously, it's been well documented how, you know, despite the fact that they do drop a lot of points against the lower sided teams within the league, they also do never get points in in recent years against Inter. There have been a draw or two in there, but they have not beaten Inter for the first time since 2016. So obviously that was a huge win for them. Ibrahimovic, um, fountain of youth. What else can you say? It, it could be, um, you know, a good, it's a good point to toward, look towards him, Ray right Torres ACL in his mid thirties and is still producing at a high level like this. So for Liverpool fans, there is light at the end of the tunnel, obviously for Virgil van Dijk, it's obviously not career ending for him there especially uh, in, in these times where so many players recover from these injuries. Um, any other teams that have caught your eye throughout all of, um, you know, Europe or anything you're looking forward to this weekend? Um, I, I, would, I would like to say Caden Clark, by the way, is, is someone, if anyone is interested in USA uh, MLS soccer. He obviously, this isn't something new. I'm not the person to discover this kid, but he has been fantastic for New York Red Bulls um again fi- following the footsteps of Tyler Adams you should see some of the the goals uh, this kid has scored already um for New York Red Bulls right in the area of where Matt lives by the way i live in Harrison New York by the way um That's which is just a suburb <laughs> a suburb right outside of new york city but new york red bulls who are not even in, play new york, in Harrison they, yeah. they play in Harrison New Jersey um just to show so uh, how original um america is you know just besides (laughs) from remaking a shit ton of movies they just use the same town name across the whole fucking country um (laughs) but yeah great player great talent to watch there really is just so many talents coming out um and it's really just you know great to see whether or not greg berhalter has the fucking balls to use some of these guys in the national team instead of wanting to lose you know against you know trinidad and tobago um in World Cup qualifiers, but again, at the end of the day, Caden Kay- Clark is just one of those names out there. Is there a player that has caught your eye anywhere? MLS could be European. I know it's kind of you know bootleg <laughs> player profile that we're talking about. Just you know, quick name. You know, maybe put on it.
1: Um, I don't have anyone. I think we're the, our, our, what we're going to try and do is we're going to try and get more um, MLS coverage, more MLS profile, because I think what we've seen in recent years with exports from Major League Soccer going to play at big clubs and, and producing quite a bit at the main stage. You mentioned Tyler Adams, you know, scored a, a match winner in a, in a, in a deep champions league, final, not champions league, final champions league, knockout match um, last competition. So there's obviously talent there. It's maybe not as much as some of these other big leagues, but Alfonso Davies, you look at the players on the fields and you kind of get a glimpse He's like, all right, this kid's special. He's different. He's built differently than some of the other players he's playing with. And, you know, I, I think Clark is, is, is one to watch for, for sure. Um, but i want to go real quickly back to Serián. you 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 sure. asked me if there was a club or a player that stood out that's maybe not getting the the proper attention or praise um in and why I, I know who it is spectrums um you may but i think i'm going to you know stick with my sasuolo um uh oh, okay. you know homerism if you will That's not even a word but i'm just <laughs> going to roll with it um sasuolo team led by uh Roberto De Jairbe, he's he's done fantastic with that team. Not only you know getting a lot of these younger players to to raise their game, to develop, to grow into really strong players, but he's instilled this sort of play style that's I think yeah. you know alerting not only Italy but the rest of of world football. And you know one player in that squad that I want to highlight, or two players, is Francesco Caputo, who continues to deliver. A couple of years ago, he was at he was at Empoli in, in Serie B, scoring goals. Producing. Court, right? Scored for
0: Italy against Moldova, even though it's Moldova.
1: Right. So okay. then they get promoted, and he has, I think, 16 or 17 goals in a season where Empoli got relegated immediately. That had a lot of players like Gisemar Benacer, Hamed Junior Traore. Um, they, they had a ton. Kroonich. They had some, some good quality players in that squad. He goes to Sassuolo for, I think, 7 million euros, and he puts up an even better year. I think he had 17, 18 goals and like 7 or 8 assists for a team like Sassuolo, who... Um, you know, isn't always competing for things thing and, and for, for European spots, but they're a team that's building a good project. And then this year, he's amongst the top goal scorers already. So at 31-32, this guy can produce and there's people calling for him to start for the national team, which is, to me, a little bit reactionary. I know he's playing really well. But I think Bellotti and Immobile are still the first two names uh, uh, that, that you look for to, to, to play prominent roles. But oh, yeah. Caputo's a dark horse to at least make the squad for the year round. He produces like this. It's going to be very difficult for Mancini to keep him off that roster. And the last one, before we wrap up real quickly. Oh, is there's the timer. <laughs> There's the alarm. There's the alarm. The food's ready. Um, uh, uh, Manuel Locatelli. Most of you know, listening, Ugh, I've, I've associated him with him at Milan. He came through the system. He scored a great goal match winner Ugh. against Juve and another one against Sassuolo, ironically, um, that in one of amazing. his breakout yeah. seasons. And he goes to Sassuolo and people kind of, hey, he's, uh, we don't need him. He's not as good of a prospect as we thought. Nah, I was pissed. is one of the best <laughs> midfielders in Serie A right now. In terms of form, in terms of ability, in terms of what we could project from him. And, a big move beckons for Manuel Locatelli. And I think it just goes to show you that Milan, maybe they shouldn't have prioritized to Lucas Bilia and Ricardo Montaliva over we'll Manuel blame, Locatelli. We'll blame so, that
0: idiot Leonardo for not putting in a buyback. So those,
1: those are the two players. Make sure you guys go check out Sassuolo. If you love Atalanta, I think you'll like Sassuolo on a week to week basis. They score goals, they play fun football, they won't lull you to sleep. It's not the Catenaccio, your, your, your nono's Catenaccio that you're come yeah. to know. They play an exciting brand of football, and I think they're they're someone who should uh, a club you should you keep an eye on. Oh
0: yeah, they're definitely. I said it. They're gonna finish ahead of Roma. You don't believe me, but I, I was one, I was wanting to say that. Um, yeah. Obviously, such a great episode. Um, as always, it's always a lot of fun. We're we're trying to keep these a little bit shorter. There's obviously so much stuff to get into. Um, but yeah, let's go plug our social media stuff. Um, We'll we'll just pug, uh pets first. So it's obviously at Pet Barisha. We got to get him over a thousand followers. A um, little disappointing weekend for him with the one nothing loss to um, Manchester City. But at the end of the day, it's still City. But to keep it one nothing like that, you know, I think I think I think it's a good sign. You know, Arsenal. It's good, still going to take a little bit uh, of time before they really get over the hump before they start their winning ways, uh, like we were accustomed to seeing them. Uh, you know, almost. 20 years ago at this point, around like 15. Um, so yeah, obviously you go follow him on there. All of his great videos that he has a football index guide. Um, he's just, Pet, pet's just the man, obviously. Um, he's still, I could still hear him breathing heavily, Matt, um, from his voice message that he, Yo, this man tomorrow. just Watched acted exactly. like he put
1: in this, this man act like he put in like 120, like extra time, like penalty I, shift. Yeah. And all boys. he did was but tell Kaka
0: did. to cut back. That's that's all yeah. he didn't do anything else this this fucking guy. Um yeah, so so um so yeah, Matt, go ahead and plug your social media before we head out.
1: Sure. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo um some also at AC Bros, where we're making a push towards eleven k followers, which we hope to get to 15 k by the end of the season. that's our goal. We have some great new writers that have uh, have joined the staff and are producing some really good content so go check us out there. I will also be announcing some in my opinion some pretty exciting news uh, involving me and what I'm going to be working on in the in the near future so make sure you guys check me out on Twitter for all those updates.
0: Yeah, obviously exciting times. That's that's amazing to see that and hopefully get you to 10K on your personal account. Um, I know you're on your way up. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at Martino Puccio. Um, Obviously a bunch of different sports. NFL Sunday is obviously a huge one aside from the Serie A matches. I'm basically locked and loaded. I try to get up at 6.30 in the morning, but it's very difficult for me since I'm a night owl. But just get up, watch uh, European football, and then we get my American football, and then I'm basically doing that. Um, ooh, real quick before, if anyone cares, World Series predictions: Dodgers versus Rays starts tonight. In case anyone's interested in that, you got a prediction for it, Matt? I don't know if you hate the Rays or not.
1: I got I got Dodgers in sixth. I think Dodgers. Dodgers I think Dodgers. Tonight. I think Dodgers have been. They've been having such bad breaks with all these sort of. Uh, uh, video scandals with the Astros and I know the, obviously yeah. there was a little bit of involvement with my Red Sox I'm not going to go too much into that because we beat them they're but in any real, case yeah. I think the Do- it's, it's I think it's the Dodgers time I think they're ready to roll here yeah. they got the star power they got the names um but I think again you can't look overlook the Rays. Rays got a great team they they have in many ways that sort of uh, money ball mentality that I know a lot of Liverpool fans are starting to kind of look into um and <laughs> yeah. have that crossover there so yeah, oh, I wait, wait, go wait. we should
0: say. we should mention that Billy Bean heading over to AZ Alkmaar. Obviously, we know um, well he's going to be yes. going with the Fenway Sports Group and um, John Henry because they've been friends. And if you see the money, uh, the movie Moneyball, it's obviously on Netflix. I actually just rewatched it again. Um, Billy Bean is the godfather of analytics over here. This is the guy that completely changed all of sports. Um, unfortunately, he didn't end up winning a championship with the A's. It's very difficult, basically. To pull off something like that would would have been unreal, but the success he had over the years, introducing analytics, we see with the Rays getting in this competition, we see the success success, excuse me, with Liverpool and all that. But obviously, if you haven't seen that movie, check that out. If you haven't been into baseball yet, if you're a European uh, a football fan or European listener over there, try and tune into the World Series. See if you can uh, get on board with it. It's definitely a great sport. I know Pet hates it so fucking much. So. Still trying there, so I'm trying to get him. But other than that, thank you guys so much for listening. Please retweet, like, subscribe, follow the YouTube channel, follow us on TikTok, Instagram, um, Facebook page, like that too. Other than that, you just listen to someone.